Hey, have you ever had a moment in your life where you found yourself wondering, what happened? Like, for example, parents, you walk into your kid's room and you see the disaster in there and you're like, dude, what happened? What happened? Or maybe wives, wives, you decided to go out of town and you're like, I'm just going to go out of town for one day, one day. And you left your husband in charge of the house and the kids and everything else and you thought, man, what could go wrong? It's just one day. And you walk back in the door and like, you know, the kitchen sink is full, the fridge is empty, the couch is covered in glitter and the cat's on fire. And you're like, oh no, what happened in one day? Uh, Or kids, maybe it's like the time you walked upstairs and one of your Lego creations was in pieces on the floor. And you looked at your siblings and said at the top of your lungs, everybody say it with me, what happened? Yeah, what happened? Or, hey, students in the room, it's like the time maybe you looked over and the, the Xbox controller your friend's been using was covered in Chick-fil-A barbecue sauce. Or, 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 or you lent someone your car and they brought it back with a little dent in the side and you were like, dude, what happened? Yeah, what happened? What happened? Uh, today we're celebrating Easter, obviously, the most important day on the Christian calendar. I would propose the most important day on the calendar in human history. And if I could summarize Easter with one phrase, one idea, if I could, if I could summarize it with one line that, that would summarize the events and the emotions and the impact of Easter, it would be this phrase. What happened? Because, <laughs> I love it. Because think about the before and after with Easter. Like think about the disciples before Easter. Leading up to Easter, you have, a, you have a group of disciples who are scattered in fear because they just watched their beloved rabbi be crucified by Rome and buried in a tomb. They just watched the movement that they, tr- they worked so hard to build over the last three years disintegrate overnight. And they all gave up. All of them, every single one of them gave up and made plans to flee the city to go find somewhere to live under the radar and try to put back together the pieces of their lives. Nobody was still preaching the sermons of Jesus. Nobody was trying to keep the movement alive. And this is important. No one was waiting at the tomb. No one ever expected to see Jesus ever again. But then you fast forward just a few weeks and these same guys who were running for their lives, are standing in the temple courts, preaching to all of Jerusalem about Jesus in front of the same people that crucified him. And in fact, they're urging them not just to follow Jesus, they're urging them to worship him as God. And in the coming decades, all but one of them would lose their lives because of this message. It would never make them rich. It would never make them powerful. It would never even make them famous. It would only bring them suffering. And yet for some reason, they just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And the question is, what happened? What happened? Well, of course, then you, you also have Jerusalem. You know, the ancient city, the center, the ancient city that was the center of ancient Judaism. Uh, no city was more committed to its traditions and to its religions than this city. Uh, and, and as a city that prior to Easter, right, right on the, in, in the verge of Easter, it had just turned on one of its own. A miracle working rabbi from Nazareth who was just too radical for the religious leaders of his day and they decided enough was enough. This heretic has to go and so they handed him over to Rome and watched him die. And then the whole city prepared to just move on and add the story of Jesus onto the pile of all the other radicals who had come and gone in the past. But then you fast forward like a few months 
in just a few months. I mean, fast forward just a few months. And in the very same city, you would find tens of thousands of people, thousands of families who were professing Jesus as their Messiah. You would find many in the priesthood, the same group that was diametrically opposed to him, joining in that belief as well. And from Jerusalem, like the very city where the Jesus movement, by all accounts, died from Jerusalem, belief in Jesus would spread to the whole wide world. What happened? And then, of course, finally, you have Rome. You have the empire that crucified Jesus, who would tolerate no kings other than Caesar, who in the next couple of centuries would come to persecute Christians wherever they were found. And you fast forward about 300 years, and the very empire that killed Jesus would proclaim him to be Lord by decree, the son of the living God. And to this day, in the capital city, a cross still hangs in the Colosseum. And anyone like watching this unfold in history, or anybody reading about it in, this, in the book, you know, you get to the point where you go, hold on a minute. What happened? What happened? I mean, it would be like if you were walking in the woods and you were to come upon a pond that was like still and clear as glass. You ever seen a pond that was like still as glass? But right before you walked up, somebody chucked a huge rock into the pond. What would you see when you walked up upon it? You can speak in church. What is it? What would you see? Yeah, you'd see ripples. I mean, you'd see just huge ripples filling the whole pond. And you would think to yourself, ah, something must have happened, right? Like somebody must have thrown a rock or or maybe a fish came up and jumped out of the water or maybe a bird landed on it or maybe somebody just did a cannonball. Anybody, uh, Anybody in the room really good? at cannonballing? Kids, point to the person in your family who's the best cannonballer of the family. A lot of dads are getting credit right now. Uh, (laughs) But whatever the case, you would think to yourself, oh man, something, something had to have happened. Something had to have happened. And my friends, that's Easter. That's Easter. Easter is the ripple of all ripples in history. There are waves coming out of the first century that all trace back to one single day, to this day, to Easter, to the day that's three days after, historically, the day when a rabbi from Nazareth was crucified by Rome. What happened? Well, this is what I believe happened. This is the historian Luke records for us. He says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tombs. They prepared spices because they were expecting to bury Jesus. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, which is what they were expecting to find. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He is risen. And Jesus himself would appear to those women and to Peter and John and to the rest of the disciples. And I don't know if you knew this, to over 500 other eyewitnesses. And in these eyewitness testimonies, they are recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in other ancient historical records. And these people believed. 
and, and huge numbers of their friends and neighbors believed. And billions of people ever since throughout history have believed. And today, all around the globe, billions of people will be gathering, some of them, many of them in secret, because we believe that this rabbi from Nazareth was, in fact, God in the flesh. He was the Messiah promised by the Jewish scriptures. He was the savior of the world who died on a cross to forgive our sins and rose from the dead to offer us new and everlasting life. And so obviously, for those of us who are Christians, like this is our day, right? This is our day. This is a day to remember and retell the story that is the epicenter of our faith, that is the hinge point of our hope that we may strengthen our faith, that we may renew our following, and that we may worship our Father in heaven. So if you're a Christian, this day is for you. Everybody say, Easter is for me. Easter. And I want everybody to say that because here's the deal. Easter is also just as much for everybody else. This is just as much for everybody else. For anyone wondering if there's more to life than this life, for anyone wondering if there's more to us than biology and chemistry, for anyone wondering if there really is a God in heaven, and if so, what is he like, and how does he feel about us? How does he feel about you? For anyone wondering who is Jesus really, and how can I know if he was who he said he is, and what does it all mean for me and for my family? For anyone wondering any of those things, this is your day. This is your day. Look here. Investigate here. Follow the ripples in history back to Easter morning and consider Jesus. Consider how a man who never traveled more than 30 miles from his hometown changed the entire course of human history. This is your day. Easter's for you. Everybody say, Easter's for me. Yeah. Well done. And so if that's you, I invite you to look here. Lean into Easter. Consider Easter. And I hope you will. I hope you will because when you do, from my own experience, it changes everything or it can change everything. Easter has a way of going from something that's just historical to something that is incredibly personal. Because that's, that's the most important question, isn't it? Not like, what is Easter? You're, you go, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I know what Easter is. I, I learned about it growing up, or I, I read about it on Wikipedia, or somebody told me. I'm like, I, I'm not wondering what Easter is. Perhaps you're wondering, what does Easter mean for me? Like, what does Easter mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my future? What does it mean for my life? I mean, does it, does it actually make any difference, like in the real world? Does it solve anything? Does it make anything better? Does it make me better? Does it at least make me better off? Does Easter, does the resurrection mean anything to specifically me? And I just want you to know the answer is yes. Oh, the answer is yes. And with the minutes that I have left today, I want to read you a speech from one of the most famous Christians ever in history, a speech that I believe has the power to make Easter personal for all of us. And my hope is this, that, that for many of us upon hearing it, it will lead you to worship today. It will lead you to, to, to deepen your confidence in God and your relationship with him. For others of us though, especially those of us who are skeptical or maybe if you're not a Christian, so glad that you are here. Here's what I hope for you, that in hearing this speech, that you uh, at least will let it inform your view of God. You know what I mean? 
Perhaps change your view of God, maybe upgrade your view of God, and as a result, impact your relationship with him or your experience of him and the church in a way that you're grateful for. And it's a speech that happened in Athens. No, not the home of the back-to-back national champions in Athens, Georgia. Can I get an amen? Heard heard somebody bark. You can bark in church, I I think. Someone's wife is going, honey, do not bark on Easter. Um, Sorry, or maybe husband. Um, I know we have a lot of fans in here, but no, it happens in Athens, Greece. And Paul, Paul the apostle, formerly Saul, the Pharisee and persecutor of Christians who turned follower of Jesus and became the most famous missionary in, in the history of Christianity. He's on a missionary journey and one of his stops was Athens and he's waiting in Athens for his two coworkers and really good friends, uh, Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens. And the historian Luke, who I read earlier, he was with Paul. He was a friend of Paul, sometimes a companion of his. And he records an incident that happened while Paul was waiting. And it goes like this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And idols are statues that people used to worship. And Paul's like, they're just everywhere. And they were. They were everywhere in Athens. I mean, hundreds of them. They were at the docks where Paul arrived. They're in the streets wherever he went. They're in the marketplace. I mean, you name it. They were all over Athens. I mean, you had the sanctuary of Zeus, the sanctuary of Athena. You had the temple of Poseidon or uh, Demeter or Persephone or Apollo or Hermes or Dionysus. You had the temple to the nine muses. You had on top of that emperor worship and just, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And this distresses Paul because supposedly this was an intellectual capital. The best philosophers, everybody knew, everybody knows, lived in Athens. And yet Paul's looking around and and, and apparently they hadn't figured out or decided on anything. They're still asking the same questions that normal folks ask. Like, who even are the gods? Like, what, what's the list of, of, of gods? How do the gods feel about mere mortals? And, and are they caring? Do they care about them? Or are they indifferent? Is there any hope for something better in this world? Is there any hope for life after this life? And if so, who do you worship? Who do you listen to? And what do you sacrifice in order to get it? And from what he could see, nobody knew. Nobody knew. And so he's distressed. And so he goes to the marketplace and he begins to reason with these philosophers. And Luke actually records, Luke's standing in the crowd and he records some of their reactions and you can read about it. And this is in Luke chapter 17. Some say, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And here's why, because they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and specifically the resurrection. And this was something new. This was something brand new. A set of teachings, they're like, yeah, we got those. Another idol with an altar, take your pick. I mean, like literally just take your pick. But a God who put on a body and died and rose from the dead for us, that's new. And if that were true, that would trump everything else that we have. It would trump everything else that we've heard. And so they invite him to come to this place called the Areopagus. Areopagus means Mars Hill, and it's where the brightest and the best of Athens gathered to discuss and present ideas. It was the epicenter of Greek thought, the Areopagus, and they invite Paul to come and to present what he's saying here, and he does. And so there, you got to imagine this, this setting. 
There stands Paul at the Areopagus. Behind him is the Acropolis with all the temples and the idols just over there. Before him are the greatest thinkers of his day in the Greek thought, in the Greek world. And it's in this setting that he gives this speech. And this is where the historical gets very personal. He says this. He says, people of Athens, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Like, hey, people of Athens, you were wise in all of your religious activity to make room and to leave room for a God you didn't know. And that's exactly who I'm going to tell you about today. I'm going to give you this missing piece. I'm going to fill in this gap. And this missing piece is going to turn your whole world upside down. And it does like right from word one. Here's what he says. He says, the God. And they're like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> Did you just say the God? The God? Didn't you mean to say like God? He's like, no. The God. The real God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples made by human hands. And, and he is not served like via sacrifices by human hands, as if he needed anything. Like in one sentence, Paul just sweeps aside all of their man-made gods, just sweeps them all to the side. It's like, hey, the God, the real God, he doesn't live in your temples, and he no longer needs your sacrifices. And they're like, what? He goes on, rather, where am I? Rather, He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. And then this is so good. This is so good. God did this so that. Hey, you want to know why God made you? You want to know why God did all this? Why God created all this? God did this so that they would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Did you hear that? Though he is not far from any one of us. And this is where Easter gets personal. This is where Easter gets personal because Easter means that he's not far from us. He's not far from you. He's not far from you. Kids in the room, is there any, any, of, y'all, any of y'all kids good at sneaking up on your parents? Anybody good at that? My boy is, uh, my, my youngest, Austin, he's like a little pint-sized ninja. This homeboy will hide like behind, around the corner, you know, behind the curtains, under the laundry basket. And, and, and as you get close, he'll like, wait, 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 wait. You get close, he'll, boo, you know, pop out. And I'm always like, ah, <laughs> scared. Because I had no idea he was so close. That's Easter. Easter is a perhaps surprising reminder that God is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. He's not a statue 
No, he's alive and active. He doesn't hide in temples. No, he put on flesh and he walked the neighborhood. He's not aloof and uncaring. No, he is paying attention to you, to your life, to your joys and your pains. He's paying attention to your comings and your goings, to the the dreams and the anxieties of your heart. He cares for you. He loves you. How do I know that? The most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you that he gave his only son. It is why he came, because God loves you. My friends, you want to know what Easter means, if it means anything to you, what it means to you? Easter is a signpost in history, proving once and for all that God is not far from you. He's not far from you. He's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. And I hope you walk away with that this Easter morning. So that's one big thing for us, what Easter means. But then Paul goes on to say a second thing that I think is equally important, and I love this. So he just keeps on trucking. He said, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill, which is, again, all behind him. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Church word, repent. Y'all know what repent means? I didn't for the longest time. Uh, Repent means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. And Paul is saying God is commanding, God is inviting everybody to change their minds about him. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine Paul standing there in, 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 in Mars Hill inviting the scholars of Greece to change their minds about God? I mean, with all the gods and temples that they had, he's like, hey, you're invited to change your mind about God. I mean, that's crazy. But that's what he does. And I know, I know that today I am, I'm in front of a, a very educated and a sophisticated audience. But I don't know. Perhaps God is inviting you too to change your mind about him today. About who he is and about how he feels about you. But that's what Paul says. God's inviting everyone to change their minds about who he is. And, and, and then This is the big piece, though. He says, for. Everybody say, for. For, because he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Doesn't that kind of grab you? I like that. He says, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And in a world where there was so little justice, and in our world where sometimes we wonder, you know, like, What about justice? Where is justice? Paul says, it's coming. Justice is coming. The the day is set. The day is set when God is going to judge or reform and remake the world with justice. A day when he's going to set things right. A day when he's going to make all things new. A day when what's evil is going to be punished and what's righteous is going to be rewarded. A day when what's broken is going to be fixed. When what's hurt is going to be healed. When what's lost is going to be found again. When what's ruined is going to be restored. When what's alienated is going to be reconciled. When what's wrong is going to be made right. And when what's dead is going to come alive again, the day is set. It's coming. And how is he going to do it? How's that going to happen? Paul says, by the man he has appointed. This is all going to happen by the man he has appointed. It's going to happen through Jesus. 
It's gonna happen through Jesus, the God-man who brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. The king who came to reverse the order of things, who brought us a kingdom that he said was gonna change the whole wide world. A kingdom that doesn't start in palaces or in thrones or with armies and nations, but one that starts right here in our soul and begins to work its way out. Because the work its way out in our lives and our choices and our habits into our families and our marriages and our relationships into our neighborhoods and our culture into our systems and our politics and our government and into our nation and one day into the whole wide world. A kingdom that was kicked off at Easter. I, I don't know if you're like me, but like, have, you ever, have you ever wished, maybe even like groaned for the world to be different? for people to be different, for you to be different. Easter was the beginning. Easter was the beginning. And Paul's saying the day is set. The day is set when Jesus is gonna return and finish the job. But here's the point, here's the point of the whole thing. Here's the whole point. How do we know this? How can you be certain of this? He tells you. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. My friends, Easter isn't just historical. It's personal. It's personal. It is a signpost in history proving to you once and for all, he's not far from you. But even crazier, he has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for us. He hasn't left us. He's not done with us. No, the day is set when he is going to restore and redeem and remake us and those we love and the communities we live in the way they were meant to be, the way we dream they could be. He's not far. And he has a plan for you. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. I wrote it this way. It's The resurrection is the event that validated everything Jesus claimed about himself, about God, and here's why it's personal, about you, about you. It's the event that proved what we all hoped was true, what perhaps you're hoping right now, where you're sitting, what you're hoping is true. As as John the apostle wrote when he tried to summarize what he saw, that God is love. He's not far. He has a plan. God is love. And this event has continued to ripple throughout history ever since. But here's the deal. And, and, and this is my prayer for you. If I have a, my, a prayer for you today, this is my prayer for you. That yeah, Easter has had a, 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 a huge ripple effect on history. But the whole point is that it could have and, and is supposed to have a ripple effect on you on your life, on your story, on your family, on your future, on your soul. I mean, God put on flesh and crashed into history. I've splashed into history to prove once and for all that God is love. He's not far and he has a plan. And when that reality, when that truth hits your life, you will never, you're never the same. It changes everything. And and I know that firsthand. I mean, these aren't just Bible verses to me. I mean, this is my story. 
if we had more time and we were just adults in the room, I'd tell you more of my story. But if you could like see me at one point in my life and then like fast forward to another point in my life, you would ask the question, what happened? Like how, how did you go from, for example, being someone living for yourself to someone who feels called to and is trying to live for other people? How did you go from someone struggling to find purpose to someone who's struggling to keep up with the purpose that is in your life? How did you go from someone that felt absolutely trapped by negativity and depression and all the stuff that goes along with that to someone who is finding the beginnings of freedom and confidence and a new identity? How in the world did that? Something had to have happened. That's not just time. And you would be right. Something did happen. I encountered the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And I gave my life, I trusted my future to Jesus, who rose from the dead to prove once and for all that God is not far from me. And he's got a plan for me. And it's way better than I ever thought. And I don't know, maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe you too, today, kind of feel like you want to repent, to change your mind about God and about Jesus and about Easter and put your faith in the one who died on a cross to forgive your sins and rose from the dead to offer you new and everlasting life. Maybe that's you. I know it's me. And I don't know what view of God you walked in the door with or what kind of relationship with God you had when you arrived today with your family or with somebody that invited you, but I just want you to know, if you would like to trade what you walked in with for a relationship with, as Paul said, the God, the real God who made the heavens and the earth, who does not live in temples, who's already paid for your sacrifices and who just wants you to reach out for him so that you can find him and find that he's a lot closer than you think. And he's got a plan for you, for us. If you'd like to trade for that, you can. You can. Because of Easter. Because Easter reminds us, Easter proves to us that like one of my favorite songs says, I'm just gonna read the lyrics. He does not just tolerate us. He doesn't have somewhere to go. We're not his trophy children. He abandons when we roam. His mercy's not a favor. His presence isn't rushed. Oh no. Our God is love. That's what Easter means. And that's why it matters. Let me pray for us and we'll continue. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for Easter. Thank you for dying on a cross and rising from the dead to to put a signpost in history, proving to us once and for all that you are not far and you have a plan. And that plan is so much better than anything we could ever imagine. It is worth putting all of our trust and faith in. And so I just pray that many of us right now will be drawn into worship of what you did on Easter. I pray that some of us in the room might change our minds about who you are and how you feel about us for the first time. And that maybe many of us might put our faith for the first time or deeper for the 500th time in you, Jesus, and what you have done. Thank you for dying on a cross for our sins and raising from the dead to offer us new and everlasting life. We love you. Thank you for Easter. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.